high school in my small town in Colorado had a gay-straight alliance. I joined. Now, the gay-straight alliance at the time was the closest thing to an LGBTQIA group for teens that middle America in the early 2000s could stomach. And for context, the year I joined Friends was the most watched show on TV. And one of the running jokes in that show was the insinuation that any one of the male characters were either gay or effeminate. One of the characters' parents was a transgender woman, and she was the constant butt of jokes in the show. And the implication was that because of this, her son was the most effeminate and had the most psychological difficulties. It was not uncommon at the time to hear uh, uh, the word gay used to describe things that our peers generally didn't like. Um, it also is not common to hear adults use that word in that way too. Gay at the time was so stigmatized that people would react violently to being called it. And trans identities weren't even on the radar for us. We actually had a campaign at my school to try to educate folks on the harmful effects of the use of gay slurs, and this was a full seven years before the national campaign of Think Before You Speak. Little did we know that 20 years later, Florida would pass a bill commonly referred to as Don't Say Gay, but it would have a very, very different meaning. So in a school of about 2000s, about 10, 2000, about 10 teens would gather in the heart of the counseling center every week. Some of us were out, some of us were not, some of us were allies, and some did not, who, did not know who they were yet. And the counselor who put the group together, Mr. Metcalf, would only join when he was invited, and then only to facilitate our projects or our outings. Other than that, the group was in our hands. But years later, I learned how much emotional, intellectual, and pure organizational work Mr. Metcalf did to keep that space open for us. From keeping our identities and our orientations private from the administration to absorbing the anger of parents who learned that their child was queer and believed that the school was somehow responsible for this tragedy. One of the students in the group uh, ran away from home because his parents rejected him so thoroughly. And at least one of us did not make it into adulthood. And if not for this group, I firmly believe it would have been more. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among LGBTQIA children. And this is drastically reduced when these children are in supportive environments. You see, what Mr. Metcalf did was listen to his students. He listened to them when mainstream culture around him wanted them ignored. He listened to their pain and he listened to their joy. He listened to them, he took them seriously, and then he held the space. Now this is a term that is often used today, so much so that it kind of starts to lose its meaning. So I wanted to be specific. He held the space in an active way, literally shutting out all of the noise from the outside, including his own. He could have inserted himself into the group, he could have given his two cents every time we met, 
made us to feel or know his fight on the outside, but he didn't. He held the space and he let us have it. And he also held the space in that sense of embracing us, holding us. In that room, during that time, 90% of what we did was just screw around like kids do. We did it in the freedom of not having to worry that some adult or some other kid would attack us for who we were, even though most of us lacked the clarity of exactly who we were. See, Mr. Metcalf, Mr. Metcalf saved lives by listening to children and giving them space to listen to each other. Now, if Mr. Metcalf was working today in Texas or Arkansas or a growing list of other states, he would likely be under criminal investigation for not reporting child abuse. In Texas, for instance, the governor signed an executive order stating that providing trans kids with gender-affirming care is child abuse, and as a mandatory, mandatory reporter, he would have been required to report this abuse to the Department of Family Services. At least 120,000 families were criminalized with a stroke of a pen for loving their children and listening to their children. Now, often these news stories are easy to ignore here. It is happening in states where we often think that regressive laws are the norm. It's a complicated issue that affects a small portion of society, and it involves the medical sciences. And perhaps the reason it is easy to ignore is that trans folks are often not listened to, and children are often not listened to, at least not on a national stage. And it is also true that there is so much misinformation as to what gender-affirming care is, that unless one is focused on this issue, it is easy to assume that we know what it means. Often when we hear that phrase, the gender-affirming care, we automatically think about genitals and surgery. And when we think of that related to children, we almost always shy away. We think uh, they can wait till adulthood to make such big decisions. Our mind goes there, it goes to genitals because of years of media conditioning. And this is wild to me, to be honest. Our society has thousands of physical characteristics that they use to designate, to assume the sex of someone and all but one of these indicators involves seeing someone naked. Face shape, voice depth, hair, hand size, foot size, clothing, gait, a thousand indicators that we are projecting on everyone we see almost automatically without ever having seen them naked. Most of gender-affirming care has to do with social care. And so the first step we can take to protecting trans kids is demystifying the care options available to them. I won't go into details here for time constraints, but it truly starts with respecting their names, their hair, their clothes, their appearance, their access to activities that align with their gender, including in sports, the restroom, sleepovers, and it involves coordinated care with a supportive medical team to consider slowing the irreversible effects of puberty. We ask a lot of trans kids. We ask that they become biology experts. We ask that they become actively involved in their care, that they learn more about human anatomy than most adults know, 
And because of transphobia, we now ask them to become legal experts and philosophers, and all of this just so that they can exist as themselves. And the medical community is overwhelmingly in support of this course of treatment, by the way. The American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Academy of Pediatrics all agree that this is the right and proper course of action. But just because in having this conversation we must rely on medical experts, I don't want us to make the mistake. These medical experts learned this from listening to trans kids. They learned it from the bravery of these children and from the years of listening to them. And to believe that these lessons have stopped yesterday is to do a disservice to our society. Now, Jules Gills Peterson from our reading today um, tells us, quote, a lot of times when we're talking about trans kids, this whole issue comes down to gender. And my response is often actually no. The problem here is our concept of childhood. We treat them differently. Of course, there are differences between adults and children, but I think we have to pay attention to when that presumed difference is being utilized to ignore something. And here's what's so incredible about a trans kid. You have a young person who, without any concept or support, has figured this thing out about themselves, this profound thing. You know, kids don't go to school and learn how to think critically about their gender identity. They have to teach it to themselves. And so I think by a point, a child comes to us and says, hey, I'm a girl, not a boy, or whatever. They've already proven to us that they do know what they're talking about, because it just takes so much work to figure that out. The emotional issue is in adults. We are the ones that are anxious. I talk to lots of parents. Most of them don't have a transphobic response. Most of them are responding out of fear. They want what is best for their kid, and now they're confused. By the time the trans kid comes to us with their identity, they've done all the hard work. It's adults that have to play catch up. Too often we allow an idea to take the place of a person. The proponents of these bills, and there are 45 states that have passed or are proposing anti-trans litigation. The proponents of these bills claim that they want to be protecting children from, quote, gender ideology. You know, wanting kids just to be kids. Well, which kids are they worried about? In 2021, the UUA issued a scathing statement against these anti-trans policies, calling them policy policies which, quote, use false notions of religious freedom and protecting women and children as an excuse for discrimination. The proponents of these bills have turned these children's identities into an ideology that can be debated. I'm contending that this is not a debate. Let us think of their experience. Let us listen to those kids. So a child who spends who knows how long teaching themselves about their relation to their sex. They see something that doesn't seem right, and they do the super difficult work of introspection without a society that is immediately open to this or who readily provides them with resources. They do this work and they come to an answer. 
Then, after having done this work, they bravely face their parents or their guardians, and they say, I'm a boy, or I'm a girl, or I don't really think I'm either. Now, the immediate response of their parent is maybe one of confusion, maybe even really entirely imperfect, because they are caught off guard, and they exist in that same society that does not offer them tools to easily have this conversation. So it's hard at first, the child being so vulnerable and the parent being scared and lost. But they do research. They find places like the Trevor Project and they connect this child with peers like them because this child has likely never met another trans person in their life. It can be incredibly lonely being a trans kid. Then they begin to speak with pediatricians and it's hard at first to find a doctor who is not explicitly or implicitly transphobic the parents have to have difficult conversations with the school about providing a supportive environment. And that is an uphill battle, often because the school is either apathetic or, in some cases, hostile. The parent and child begin to create a network with other parents of trans kids for support. They begin to see things falling into place, and then the parents learn that the litigators or the governor think that they are abusing their child and they could be arrested for this. Now, the child worries that they will be pulled from the care that is the source of joy and solace in their life. They are worried that the few adults in their life who actually listened to them and cared for them could be arrested for the act of caring for them. They now must become not only experts of human anatomy and advocacy, but experts in the law. And this is just to exist. These laws target the children who actually have supportive families in their life, which is not the case for many. And make no mistake, these laws and policies are not about protecting children. They are about eradicating trans people. They are about removing trans people from having a public life. And in some cases, they are about eugenics politics. And the people pushing these laws have started saying the quiet part out loud. They have started calling for our eradication on national stages to applause. And so what does this mean for us and for our larger faith? Being an intellectual and rational religion, our first instinct, I think, is to get goaded into an argument with those who wish to turn our trans siblings into an ideology. But I think that the first step is that we do not debate their existence and our worth. Our first principle, as you use, is that we respect the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Full stop. It's not a debate. It's not an ideology. It's a child with worth and dignity. It's a child who deserves to be treated with integrity. And we do that by listening to them. And we do that by taking them seriously. And we do that by loving them into being. The second step is that all of us will eventually know an openly trans person or a family with a trans child. Y'all know me. It behooves us to self-educate. Trans kids and their guardians, trans adults and their spouses have to educate just about everyone they meet and interact with. And just meeting folks who have that basic groundwork in place makes the world feel a little less lonely. I think too often we can get into our own heads and get fixated upon whether we did it right. Protecting our moral integrity can sometimes get in the way of actually doing right. 
there's a lot of caretaking that many trans folks and their family do, even with the most well-meaning allies. So I say remember that if you think you did something wrong by mistake, like misgender a person, that the best thing that you can do is briefly acknowledge it and then do better next time. And then actually do better next time. And the third step, I think, implicates privilege. Too often, this word privilege is used as a cudgel against would-be allies, and this makes folks try to shed their privilege, but that doesn't help anyone. We are all a mishmash of different privileges and lack of privileges. So I'm trans, and when I walk down the street, I am read that way, and as such, cis folks have a privilege that I do not have. But I'm also white. I'm also middle class, I'm an adult, and I have access to this microphone and that video feed. Discerning our privilege enables us to leverage it up, to lift those up who lack the privilege, even when it does nothing to take away from where we lack privilege. Finally, I think that we should hold space for trans kids. Now, I do not think of prayer as a way of calling on that great goddess in the sky to intervene on my behalf. I think of prayer as a way to invest our full intention, attention, if only for a moment, on someone else. In this world, our attention is valuable. Give it to those who need it most. Let their voices call to us. By the time that they have found that voice, they have already captured the bravest parts of themselves. Ours is a religion who listens to the voices of the oppressed. Be ours a religion who actively holds the space for them, who cancels out the other noise, and who holds them in arms of loving care. May it be so. Namin. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message, where we dive a little bit further into the service themes and topics. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm so excited to get to dive into today's message about trans kids, listening to kids, and all sorts of things in between with the amazing and wonderful Lily, who is back with us uh, so soon after uh, your most recent message. Welcome, Lily. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, we, uh, we, and by we, I mean me, are excited to have you here. Um, so, um, a fascinating topic. I, I really loved the topic choice when I when I saw your message about like what it was going to be. I was like, I love this. I love this. This is important for this moment. Um, you know, and as uh, I and we were preparing uh, for this, getting the message time to to dive a little bit deeper. You know, we were debating what to what to include, and you know, we thought like, since we were both trans kids once, can we just ramble about whatever we want to, and that counts as listening to trans kids then, and then that covers the theme. But don't worry, folks, we will actually talk about the service themes. There might just be a few rambles in there, too. Um, so why this theme? Well, I mean, uh, as you know, the political situation, and maybe most folks don't really know, but uh, uh, the political situation for trans people and especially trans children is is fairly dire in a large part of the country. Um, when, when I first started thinking about maybe preaching on something like this, um, it was around the time that the Texas governor had signed an executive order, which essentially made caring for 
trans kids, providing gender affirming care to trans kids, like an illegal thing and um, uh, opened those families up to criminal investigations, opened up uh, a lot of schools to uh, criminal investigations um, and going so far as like even like the, the, um, the, um, the Trevor Project, like national places that, that essentially just talk to trans kids who have high rates of um, depression and uh, suicide ideation, stuff like that, um, uh, made them possibly liable criminally uh, for their activities in Texas. Um, and unfortunately, that has only expanded since then and has traveled to several other states along with um, many other bands. So it felt like a really important topic to be talking about um, at this time, especially as we start to get closer to Trans Day of Visibility, which is at once, you know, this celebration of visibility um, for trans folks on March 31st, um, but also it comes at a time where it's increasingly dangerous to be visible and trans. You know, I often forget that I uh, I started hormones on Trans Visibility Day, so this year is six years. Um, speaking of trans care, um, no, but I mean it is um, uh, watching watching the news at all as a trans person these days is um, it's, it's a lot um, and. Um, you know, I, you, like you were talking about like the Trevor Project and it made me think about, um, so I, I think I've mentioned in the past on some other getting the messages, like how I'm doing voice work and working on voice transition. The place that I um, am going through, they posted like a, a TikTok saying like, hey, if you're doing like, if you're someone who's offering voice training or like to trans kids, you might want to think about like your legal liabilities if, if those kids are in these states. It's like, man, have we really gotten to that? that point like yeah it it um yeah i i i first started coming out in like 2008 and like more really publicly like activism in like 2010 and uh yeah it's you know all these like wow 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 things are just and it's like <laughs> feeling a little sound effects for those listening to the audio version of this there was hand motions. You're only listening to the audio, um, and but yeah, it, it is it, you know. And the thing is, is that they were using this whole narrative of of protecting trans kids or protecting kids, and then now they're already we see it in Florida expanding it to be like, nope, sorry. Also, just no insurances are allowed to cover any trans care. Um, yeah. I mean, as as you know, like you know most. Most folks were saying, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're using as cover this like, oh, well, just children. We're concerned about children. You know, they don't maybe don't have like the cognitive ability to make such big decisions. And I, I will say a lot of those claims really do rely upon um, misinformation and a general ambiguity around what is gender affirming care at all. Um, and, you know, many of us were like, no, this is obviously just the first step on a multi-pronged assault uh, uh, on trans people's rights. And, and um, you know, so many of the things like, like that, that you were talking about there, like um, um, 
simply using someone's chosen name or simply using someone's pronouns. Um, even just doing that has this like huge effect on um, trans kids and their mental health. Right, and they're they're going after that as one of the things that you know in these in these childhood transition bans that they're like, you know, that means the schools can't use pronouns. This like even if the teacher wants to, it's against the rules. To, yeah, you know, freedom. Yeah. That's you know what the what they love. You know, yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think that um, it can be really hard. It's amazing. These kids have done this self-exploration, usually without much help. Like our society is not set up for people to question their assigned gender at birth. Um, and these kids go through this great amount of work. And the kids who do come out often, you know, face struggles at home face, you know, they have to, they have to go and educate people in their lives as to this huge transformation that they have come to. And then to have these sorts of things introduced that would strip them of the people who listen to them and the people who care for them, or at least endangered those people is really tragic. Um, and it's something that I, I don't think that we can afford to not talk about. You know, and I, I have seen, uh, I've started to see lots of like UU efforts to, uh, you know, begin to address this issue. And I think that, um, you know, it's important to pay attention to those, but it's also just, it's important to support the trans folks and the trans kids like in our lives and in our communities uh, in the immediate uh, area that we might be as well. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's often easier to think in the abstract and to think of like, oh, we gotta go, we gotta be helping those, people down in Florida, but people are dealing with bad things up here too. Like, you know, there's still um, record rates of like LGBT youth being homeless, especially trans youth. Like yeah. it's, yeah, there's, but you know, to, to move from the like things are bad moment, um, like you did name there, like how, how amazing it is that these kids are doing this work. And I mean, to be fair, like, I think society in general just doesn't like any self-analysis it's like sorry no we need you busy we need you buying busy and buying self-analysis self-growth like let's let's cut back on that unless we can monetize it in which case it's okay um, right. yes, exactly um by self-growth you mean a gym membership right um, and so like you know i it's for for kids to not only be doing this amazing like gender work but just even thinking about their identity and thinking about who they are at such a young age is just like amazing um, and as, uh, so I was born in 88 and, uh, like, as I mentioned, I started coming out in 2008 and like, was really like activism E, um, in like 2010. Um, and like when I looked up trans folks on ask Jeeves in middle school, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's for, that's for our, our elders listening to <laughs> I don't say it like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not that old. Um, hey, you know, uh, after after doing trans activism for for thirteen years of my life, I, I I'll, I'll go with the being an elder, an elder trans. I I have be I've become the elder trans that I complained about when I first started. Um, <laughs> but that that's a whole nother topic. Um, but no, like I think it's like 
ever so when I was on Ask Jeeves, um, you know, when I was finding these pages and finding other trans people, they were like 60 and like had just started hormones at like their 50s because like they like got to that point in their life and realized it was like transition or not wanting to be alive, um, to, to put it plain and simple. And they, you know, like, so that, but that was the precedent was that it was all these late in life transitioners and they were all like mostly fifties. And there was a couple exceptions, but it was like, and even the lists that you would find are like famous people or any like famous, very like in, within the community it was like, you know, like a hundred people. Um, and like, there was, there was no kids. The only kid that I can think of actually from my youth is uh, that Kim Petras was like kind of quasi famous in like trans circles back then now is like first Grammy performing trans, um, openly trans woman. Um, and um, so that's, you know, cool to see, but like, it's so different now to like, you know, I, I knew I was, I knew I was trans when I was that young. Like um, I, I didn't watch Mrs. Doubtfire because I was worried that it might out me to my family. And that was like five or six years old. Like I knew. Um, yeah. And it's, it's amazing to see, to see trans kids feel like that they're able to be themselves. Like it's really such a, it, it, it's a beautiful thing both for our society, but just also for like older trans folks, I think. Yeah. If you want to hop it, there's a lot of rambles on my part. So go ahead and go ahead and hop in off of that. I, uh, and I do talk a bit about this in the message, but like, you know, we, we didn't have any resources like that in, in middle America that I was growing up in. The closest thing that we had was the, the gay straight Alliance, which like I was a part of, but you know, was like, well, I, I'm, I'm not gay, but I'm definitely like belong with these folks, uh, <laughs> in some way, but like, I didn't even necessarily have like the cognitive skills to really like, like, yeah, I didn't have the categories to really understand what was going on. And, and any representation of trans folks at the time was jokes, like was either jokes or, or, or monsters. Like, uh, uh you know, it's either, uh, silence of the lambs or friends, uh, uh, with maybe a, a, a solid helping of like Maury and Jerry Springer in the middle there. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, especially in like the late 90s. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, now it's very, I mean, this is why visibility is so important. It, we, we are no longer relegated to the shadows. We, we have a history. Uh, we've always been around. There's always been trans people. We've always been around. The history has been buried. Um, and kids now have so many people that they can look to. They have so many more concepts that they can use to understand the feelings that they have inside of themselves. Like, you know, the, the fact that this is such a big fight is is awful in many ways, but it also serves to show how much like visibility has had an impact. Um, or how much how much the reactionary people see it as a threat because it's making such huge progress. Um, yeah. yeah. When I think you know, and you you named there about like how visibility is like you know because that was something for me as I was coming out was like I want to be visible because like I know that it would have made a difference for younger me. And I think it's this really, I think it's this really amazing kind of feedback loop that like, 
you know, like I can like look and be like, wow, like trans kids, trans teens, like doing amazing things. Like I wish, you know, I wish I had been able that brave at that age. I wish the resources had been there for me, but it's this beautiful thing that inspires me so much. But then they can also look and be like, wow, like look, a trans woman who like has a career at a at a congregation in New York City. Like that's that's exciting for them. Like, you know, they're it, it is not, it is, it is important not just to have that like huge representation like yes being in movies being in tv shows like this does help change like the pop culture needle but like it also just helps to have that representation like in your own communities and around you um to like know that yeah these people do exist i love that i mean i love the the great diversity that we see so there's you know um uh the trans handy woman uh uh, who who does videos on 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 TikTok, which I'm I'm not really well familiar with, but there's also other places that she does these videos about like how to do fixer upper projects around your house, and and it's this you know there are so many different ways right. to to be trans, and it's not right. just like I'm the actress, you know, like that is one part and one way to do it, but you can also be any number of things, and right. um, it's it's not limiting, it's 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 expansive, and I think that that is also something that as a, a child, I was like, maybe it's limiting. Maybe I will, will be limited in what I can do in my life if I fully live into myself. Um, right, oh, definitely. Yeah, that, um, you know, that you can have on the TikTok, um, you can have like trans handy woman and who gets like an official sponsorship from Lowe's now or something like that. That's um, awesome. I, I don't I, follow enough. Um, I did my time at Lowe's um, in my retail <laughs> era, um, and, but you know, but you get you get stuff all over the place and like people just living their lives and like that's that's beautiful. Like I I was on a podcast the other day and I was talking about um, the Craft Legacy, which is a a mediocre reboot sequel of the Craft from the, the '80s, early '90s. I forget where they, when the original was from. '90s. Um, I couldn't remember it all blurs together. Um, my childhood. Um, and, um, so like it, it was you know, so-so as a movie, but there was a trans woman in it who was just like, you know, a character. It wasn't, it wasn't like a parody. It wasn't, um, wow, look at how everything is so difficult for her. Like, wow, she's learning how to do makeup for the first time. Like it wasn't all of these kind of typical tales that you see. I'm like, it's literally just a trans person existing and it's so beautiful. I I just, yeah, no, I love that. And I think, you know, more of that will come, especially I want to say with this generation that has kind of not only had more resources at their disposal to see, but have contributed a great deal to our thoughts about gender and about sexuality in these really spectacular ways. And I love learning all of these new terms that like these young people are, are like living into that. I'm like, oh, I, I have no idea. What is, what is Demi girl? That's cool. Don't know what that means. Um, um, and I just, I just think that part of the listening to trans kids thing is, is yes, to, to help them and to help them re- fully realize themselves, but it's also just generally like, 
children have really amazing insights and really important things to add to our world. And, and in listening to them, I think that it, it helps us inform who we are and what our future is going to be. Definitely. That's one of my favorite things in my work right now at Fourth U is what the Time for All Ages has turned into, which is like, I think different from the way that many other churches maybe do it, but like, um, and it's definitely different than most of like the Christian churches I had growing up where it was, come listen to Bible story, then go to Sunday school. Um, and, yeah. uh, but the chance that most Sundays, the focus is on, yeah, yes, I share a little something, but then we get to hear from the kids and the rest of the congregation gets to hear from the kids and gets to like, I feel like more weeks than not, they're like clapping at some answer that a kid gave because they're like, wow, these kids know what they're talking about. And these are, these kids are giving insights to the world that like, that we need to hear too. And yeah, I, I totally agree that it's, it's so vital just to learn to listen to kids in general. Yeah. And a lot of the hand wringing about from, from the reactionaries about, you know, trans kids and stuff is in some ways a, 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 a way to silence them. It is to say, well, you know, they, they can't possibly know these things about themselves or, or that you're like, you know, somehow influencing them or something. And I think the really frustrating part for the parents and for the teachers and, and the caretakers are like, you know, we're, we're doing the hard work of, of living with them, of, of listening to them, of, of amplifying their voices. I, I think of Dwayne Wade, the basketball player, and just how phenomenal he is at listening to his daughter and and really being her advocate yeah oh, that's a great one to name too yeah it's it's hard work but we're gonna we're gonna face we're gonna face this reaction and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna rise stronger i absolutely i absolutely. believe that i i am a revolutionary optimist underneath it all <laughs> <laughs> I I find myself uh, 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 agreeing with you for once on on this optimism. <laughs> hey, I think that you know, we're like, end end tape right there. Like we got we got Lily agreeing to be optimistic. So I yeah. think. <laughs> I mean, you have editorial control, so you can make me say any number of things. <laughs> but I would like folks who are listening to know that I do not edit people to say any number of things. <laughs> that sounds uh, okay <laughs> but i could now go back and edit you to just repeatedly say the words any number of things copy and paste that segment over and over again yes i'd be yeah. like i'd be like lily sat down with me to say any number of things any number of things that, any and that's the recording is just any number of things <laughs> lily it's wonderful as always to sit down with you thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for uh, a vital and important message at this moment. <laughs>